Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about how to keep the rhythm, music for environmental consciousness, and peaceful global change. My first guest is Ricky Kedge, a magnificent composer, music producer, and environmentalist. But there's a story about how I came to have Ricky Kedge on the show. I received an email in one of my ancient emails that I don't really use much anymore. And I was introduced to his work and all the amazing things that he's doing. He's a Grammy-winning musician, you guys. But he is also a professor at the prestigious National Institute of Advanced Studies at the Indian Institute of Science. He's been named an ambassador for Earth Day Network in 2018. And he's been named in the prestigious Real Leaders 100 list. He is an ambassador for the planet, and I'm so happy to introduce our listeners to Ricky Kedge and his magnificent music. Ricky, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's an absolute honor to be speaking to you. Well, it is a pleasure. You know, it's funny how life works. You know, I receive this email. I start clicking on all the links and listening to the really amazing music. And I think this man is living on purpose. This man is living his happiness. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that means a lot to me. And uh, that's absolutely true. You know, that uh, uh, I love, uh, I absolutely love what I do. I love making music. And um, I've been an environmentalist all my life. So I've managed to bring these two worlds together. And I'm really fortunate that I'm doing I'm creating art that I absolutely love and on a topic that I absolutely love. Talk a little bit about your evolution <clears throat> to your artisanry, because you come from India, you come from a family that might have frowned upon or judged yeah. your musical choices <laughs> at first not now maybe <laughs> no of course yeah the so yeah it's quite a long story but in a nutshell uh, uh, i've always been a musician uh, all my life and i've always been an a very very strong environmentalist and uh, in my 12th grade that's when in india we have to make a strong decision as to what we want to do for the rest of our life and i wanted to be a musician a professional musician but my father, being a third generation doctor, wanted me uh, to be a doctor. So after a lot of fighting, we reached a compromise. And in India, you cannot not listen to your parents. Uh, that, that just does not happen in India. So I had to <laughs> like make a compromise with my father where I had to finish off a degree in dental surgery, a DDS. And once I finished off that degree, uh, my father would let my life be my own. So that's exactly what I did. I went to college for five years, got the DDS degree. 
I very ceremoniously gave the degree certificate to my father and I became a full-time musician after that. <laughs> so that was how I became a musician. Wow, that's that's quite a story. Talk about how you're using your music to create a positive social impact because there's several initiatives that you are a part of. So the thing is that I started off my career uh, making commercial music, uh, that is music for television, uh, television uh, commercials and radio commercials. And in a very short span, um, of about uh, 10 or 12 years, I had done uh, more than 3,500 of them. So I was extremely successful globally and I was doing a whole lot of music for the top brands and their competitors worldwide. And uh, it sort of struck me around 2012 that, uh, you know, these big brands are spending so much of money to drive a message of sales through music because they understand the power of music to communicate a message, which in their case is always trying to sell a product. So I realized that I, being a musician, have not understood the power of music. And I was quite ashamed about that. And that is when I decided that I'm going to utilize my music only to drive a positive social message for social impact. And I'm going to stop everything else. So I stopped all forms of commercial music, uh, movie music, or any kind of music that would be not something that was coming out of my heart and my mind and as an extension of my beliefs and philosophies. And I decided to make music only on social impact. And that's what started off that journey. That's incredible. What, what a, a, a gift uh, to you and to us. Talk about the issues. Pollution, health, preserving our planet Earth for future generations. We're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, so uh, one, uh, of course, the environment is a very, very strong essence in all my music. And uh, we are facing quite a few problems, as you just mentioned. I put them down into three broad categories. One would be pollution, which could be air pollution. It could be plastic pollution. Plastic pollution is a huge threat to our planet because plastics was invented as a non-biodegradable material because it would not wash off with water. And, uh, you know, so which means that every single piece of plastic that we've ever thrown away from the time we were children still exists somewhere in the universe and somewhere in the world. So uh, the thing is that, uh, you know, and soon the whole earth is going to be covered with plastic. So there is pollution, then there is species extinction where, you know, because of deforestation, we're losing out on a lot of species. A lot of animals are in danger or they're endangered and things like that. And the third uh, element is climate change, which is basically the earth is the, the earth is the warmest that it has ever been this year. And uh, because of this, the polar ice caps are melting. Because of that, the ocean levels are rising and whole coastlines and entire countries are going completely underwater because of this. And uh, and of course, natural disasters are getting much worse than what they used to be. They're getting much more frequent in number. So that's what I base my music on, these three broad topics of climate change, of uh, pollution and of species extinction. But I, but my music always has a very positive message because we talk about, uh, because I believe in positive reinforcement rather than showcasing what is going wrong. And, and talk a little bit about health, global health and making healthcare uh, available to all. So the thing about uh, health is also very related to climate change because, again, when it comes to health all over the world, the WHO has also recognized that air pollution is the number one cause for uh, for deaths in the world. Uh, in fact, uh, 600,000 children worldwide are dying every year from breathing polluted air. And 9 out of 10 children on this planet are not breathing pure air. And that this is causing a whole lot of non-communicable diseases. It's lowering the immunity of children. It's lowering 
having the immunity of adults so that they are more susceptible to other diseases which are communicable diseases so it's a huge concern but the thing is that all the solutions that hold good for air pollution are the same solutions that hold good for climate change so basically if we can just take care of pollution we can take care of like you know vehicular emissions you know and take care of the breathing of children and you know and ensure that they're breathing in clean air we can solve a whole lot of problems on this planet you know i want to go back to something that you said about plastics and every piece of plastic that has ever been made is warehoused on the planet i mean it's not something that has gone away and when you when you think of it in those terms and the monumentality of what this represents to us it is a huge problem true it is a massive massive problem because uh, uh, we are not sensitized to what happens to the plastic after we throw it away because once we throw it away into the into the garbage bin uh, we just think it disappears but it does not because it goes into a landfill somewhere then uh, uh, almost every single time uh, it always lands up in a river and then once it's in a river it flows to the sea and to the ocean and uh, as i mentioned since it's not biodegradable it can be broken down into many many pieces but it is still on the earth and it always eventually ends up in the ocean and every single piece of plastic that we have ever thrown away is responsible for the death of a marine animal and again you know there is a staggering statistic for even that that 200 million marine animals that is you know fish die every year from ingesting plastic and there have been so many whales and you know and dolphins that have been found on the coast of islands which are not even inhabited by humans and they've been found dead over there and when they cut open their bellies their bellies are just lined up with plastic because they've ingested so much of plastic a lot of these fish what they do is that uh, the way that uh, evolution has taught them to eat food is that they just open their mouths they just take in a whole lot of water and then they filter out the water and whatever remains is usually plankton material and organic material which they ingest so they do not know the difference between plastic and you know and uh, organic material which they normally eat as part of the diet so they end up eating a lot of plastics and that's what happens to them we're going to take a break and when we return we're going to talk more with grammy winner ricky kedge and i want to talk about your most recent album when we come back and that is shanti samsara we're going to head out to the break with the beautiful music of ricky kedge to learn more please visit rickykedge.com and that's r i c k y k e j.com on twitter at ricky kedge and on facebook that page is ricky kedge music here comes the beautiful music of ricky kedge we'll be right back learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office visit harvestinghappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops corporate programming and speaking engagement services Welcome back to Harvest and Happiness Talk Radio. You have been listening to the magnificent music of Ricky Kedge, who is a composer, music producer, environmentalist, and Grammy Award winner. 
Ricky, let's talk a little bit about your newest album, Shanti Samsara. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so Shanti Samsara is an album which is really close to my heart. I'd created this album for the COP21, that is the climate change uh, conference, which happened in Paris. And uh, it was launched by our Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the then French President, François Hollande, and the uh, General Secretary of the uh, United Nations, that is Ban Ki-moon, at that particular point in time. It, uh, it featured 500 musicians from over 40 countries. Uh, wherever I could find a musician in any corner of the earth who uh, who felt strongly about <laughs> climate change, who felt strongly about the environment, I collaborated with some of them being Stuart Copeland from the police, Patty Austin, legendary jazz singer. Uh, we had uh, Peter Yarrow from Peter Paul and Mary. Uh, we had the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in London, the Nashville Symphony. Lots and lots of musicians from all over the world. And I've been performing this album all over the world, performed it in more than 25 countries now. And uh, also uh, performed it three times now at the United Nations uh, General Assembly in New York. Uh, that is the headquarters of the UN. So it's been a really, really good ride. And this is an album that I feel very strongly about because its message is really strong and something that I absolutely resonate with. And it's a celebration. You know, it's yes. an absolute celebration. And when you think of 500 musicians collaborating on the album and the uh, project management required to make all of that happen. Yeah, it was really difficult. I have to say that, but it was also very exciting. Uh, you know, because uh, we did not plan to uh, collaborate with 500 musicians. We just wanted to make an album. And then, you know, and then uh, I just kept meeting new musicians and I kept remembering uh, musicians who I had met a long uh, while ago. And uh, that's when, you know, it, the project just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it became what it was. And, you know, let's then talk about the power of music, because you speak of this project of, of the album, Shanti Samsara, growing to be such a large group of contributors. And this illustrates the power of a good project and the power of music to unite, to heal, to promote. True, because uh, music, I've always believed, is a really, really powerful language, not just for communicating a message, but for retaining that message deep into the consciousness of a listener. Like the songs that we learned during our childhood are the songs that we remember forever. And the morals that we learn through the songs are morals that stick with us always. So uh, the thing is that when I do my concerts, especially, um, I do concerts of two kinds. Uh, that is uh, the first kind is what I call the top down approach, which is intimate concerts to policymakers, to leaders and people who can bring about change on a really large level because of the power they hold or because of the audiences that uh, have their ear. And uh, the uh, the second kind of uh, uh, concerts that I do is what I called called uh, the ground up approach, which is basically large concerts, large scale concerts to large audiences like twenty five thousand people, thirty thousand people, even a hundred thousand people, and uh, where we uh, where, where I where I spread this message of environmental consciousness and and you know and and uh, messages about climate change to a very large audience and sensitize them uh, to what is going on. Uh, so uh, we've had some tremendous results through our concerts, a lot of impact through our concerts, lots of policy decisions have been made through our concerts, and I'm really thrilled that music can play such an important role. I am too. I'm, I'm really blown away by, by your music. Will you be touring the United States? Yeah, I've done, um, this year itself, I've done about six or seven concerts at the United States. Uh, I've done concerts in New Mexico. We did concerts in Seattle, uh, in uh, where else, uh, a bunch of them in New York, in Los Angeles. So we've done a couple of concerts. 
but we've not actually done a tour. Uh, it's always been people who have invited us for concerts. Like for example, in September, uh, uh, Amazon had invited us to perform at the headquarters to launch their new sustainability division. So we performed to a whole lot of Amazonians over there. <laughs> then we performed in uh, we performed in New Mexico for the Fortune 200 companies. The Fortune 200 companies had come together to discuss sustainability issues within their companies and how to leave a better planet. And uh, yeah, and I performed for that particular event in New Mexico. It was a beautiful concert, then performed at the UN headquarters in September again. So I've been doing quite a few performances in USA, but I hope to actually do a proper tour where I where I arrive in the USA and I stay there for a considerable amount of time and tour cities rather than like this year, for example, I live in India. It's a 22 hour flight to USA and I've ended up traveling a total of 12 times to the USA during 2018. So mm-hmm. it's really difficult to do that. Wow. <laughs> oh, it's it is exhausting. Um, yeah. t- talk a little bit about the work that you've done um, with the United Nations and Earth Day Network and UNICEF. So uh, the United Nations, I do a lot of work with United Nations Environment, which is their uh, which is their agency, which uh, which deals with environmental issues. Uh, a very very good uh, agency, and uh, also with WHO, because what I love about the WHO is that they they're taking climate change, the issues of climate change and air pollution, under their belt, uh, saying that you know that uh, that it's more of a health issue rather than an environmental issue, which I absolutely agree with for two reasons. One is that it is definitely a health issue, and secondly, if you portray it and you uh, make the narrative that it is a health issue, people uh, warm up to uh, finding solutions a little faster because it's affecting the human race directly. And uh, the and of course, UNICEF is another organization. I'm an ambassador with them and uh, love the work that UNICEF is doing, because a lot of people think that UNICEF is all about only children's education, but it's also about the lives and the livelihoods of children. It's uh, they take care of children right from the time before they are born uh, to when they become adults. And they and as their policy says, they never give up on children. They're constantly fighting for their lives fighting for the right to education, fighting for the right to live, fighting for the right to health and all of that stuff and to nutrition too. And of course, Earth Day Network does the April 21st Earth Day, which happens every year. I'm a proud ambassador with them too. They do some fabulous work all over the world. This year, they're working on preventing species extinction and species protection. So I'm working with them on that campaign. Fantastic. I absolutely applaud you for being able to marry your passion and your creativity with these causes that really will help preserve our world. You know, it's beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me and uh, it's a lot of hard work and uh, it's something that I absolutely love doing. So for me, actually, it's not work. It's uh, it's uh, I've been a musician uh, for the last uh, 20 years and it's been a 20 year old holiday for me. <laughs> mm, the, uh, I like the way you put that. What's yeah. next? What's your next project and what has inspired it? So I did this uh, project for uh, children because when we talk about environmental consciousness, uh, we need to start with the children. And I'd acknowledged this quite early on. So what I did was that I wrote these uh, along with uh, two other brilliant writers, that is uh, Lonnie Park and Dominic de Cruz. I wrote these uh, uh, 27 songs uh, for children based on sustainability. Like, for example, one song is about uh, the rhinoceros. Another song is about the elephant. Another song is about plastics. Another song is about, uh, about uh, you know, about uh, gender equality. So I wrote these songs. And uh, what we've done is that uh, we've translated them into multiple languages. And in India, uh, it's going to be part of the educational curriculum in 2019, where we're disseminating these songs into uh, into more than about 10 million textbooks across India. 
And uh, so we're going to be affecting the lives of 10 million children through these songs. And uh, we are also just wrapping up translations in Spanish for the Spanish countries. We're wrapping up French for France and uh, some other surrounding countries and neighboring countries. So that's what we're doing. We are, uh, our aim is that by the year 2020, we want to uh, we want to get these songs into the lives of at least about 40 or 50 million children every year so that uh, so that we have a whole new generation of children who are more environmentally responsible and who understand and are sensitized about sustainability. This is incredible. What is the name of this project? Uh, the project is called My Earth Songs. It's completely non-commercial, so anybody can go onto the website that is myearthsongs.com and download all of the songs and all of the videos for free and use it for whatever purposes they like without any permissions from me. Oh, this is fantastic. I I see that you're giving people the salve, you know, like to, to, to soothe, to educate, to soothe and inspire kids to be leaders as they as they grow up. Exactly. Because the thing is that uh, children are the best leaders for this purpose, because our generation, unfortunately, has made too many mistakes. And, uh, you know, and plus our mindsets are are so thick in terms of like, you know, in terms of uh, caring only about ourselves and not caring about future generations that, you know, that we have to leave the responsibility and we have to ensure that the future generation does not make the same mistakes that we did. And uh, that's the reason why we need to sensitize them from a younger age to understand that everybody is part of a community and nobody is doing things only for themselves because all of us, uh, all of us are equally responsible because all of us have a common future on this planet. Ricky Kedge, thank you for joining us on Harvesting Happiness to learn more about the magnificent music and projects that Ricky Kedge has created. Please visit www.rickykedge.com and that's R-I-C-K-Y. KEJ.com, RickyKedge.com, on Twitter at Ricky Kedge, and on Facebook, Ricky Kedge Music. We're going to leave you with a couple of tracks of Ricky's music, and I urge you to listen to his newest album, Shanti Samsara, and investigate My Earth Songs to pass on the good word, music, and initiatives of Ricky Kedge. Ricky, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been a really fun interview, and I'm so glad you called me on your show. Oh, uh, me too. I'm so glad you agreed to come. <laughs> We're going to head out to the break with the beautiful music of Ricky Kedge. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. that happiness is actually good for your health. Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this episode. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, and we're talking about keeping the rhythm. Music for environmental consciousness and peaceful 
Global Change. My next guest is a show favorite and my friend, Jeff Oster. Often described as Miles Davis meets Pink Floyd, Jeff is also a member of the New Age group Flow, whose self-titled album hit top five on the New Age Billboard album charts in 2018. For those of you who listen regularly, we had Flow on the show. And I love music. It's one of my passions. So whenever I get a chance to interview musicians who are doing cool work that resonate with our theme here of harvesting happiness and self-reflection and self-awareness, I'm going to do it. And so Jeff's coming back again. Jeff, thanks for joining me on the show today. Lisa, my pleasure. Good to be back again. Good to be back. And, you know, we were, we were joking that the first time I interviewed Jeff, he was being interviewed from his car. And today we are in his office. And so I feel like I'm moving up in the ranks of right. Jeff Oster. <laughs> we've, up, we've upgraded. We've now. upgraded. Exactly. Your latest album is entitled Reach. And you started to tell me a little bit of the story of how you title your albums, but also the journey that you have been on. Yeah, I, the idea of titling them, you know, I've been releasing albums since 2000, I guess in five. So however long that is now, it feels, feels like a lot longer than it actually has been. But I think I've got six albums now. And each of them has been distilled down to one word and is a snapshot of wherever I have been in my life. So my first album was called Released, which, and, I, and I think I, I put that album out, I was uh, almost 50 years old. So it took that long for my music to actually be released into the world. And the second album was called True. And I was in the middle of a relationship that um, wasn't fully honest, you know, to be honest about it. And the music was the only thing that was true for me then. And then the next album was called Surrender. And uh, I had uh, uh, adjusted the parameters of that relationship. And I was in the <laughs> middle of <laughs> it. Was that good? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and with that change, you know, I was in the middle of all the turmoil that happens from that. And surrender was the operative word at that time, you know. And then the next album, uh, I think 2011 or something, was called Next. And, and so that's after I made it through all that turmoil. Well, now what's next? So that's that. And now that brings us to my current album, Reach. And the whole gist of that is I'm, I'm now, you know, in my early 60s and my um, about to be an empty nester. My youngest daughter is about to go to college uh, and I have this freedom. But with freedom um, comes almost paralyzing opportunity. Like if you could do anything you wanted to do, if you could go anywhere you wanted to go, and I'm actually blessed enough to be able to make a choice like that, where, where can it be? Right. Where is it? And, you know, it's funny because that, that goal or that mindset um, is set against an archetype, right? The parameters of what life is, should look like when you're at my age, right? Like most the tape that plays or the movie, you know, the, the leave it to beaver movie thing, right. Is, is, you know, all right, now the kids are gone and you're, you're an empty nester with your spouse and you get to have your house. And now you get to take the vacations you always wanted to take. The cruises, the, cru the cruise life. <laughs> right. Right. All that stuff. But my thing is totally different now. You know, I'm, I'm able to do more music. Thank God. Um, and uh, the idea of reach 
is like it's uh, the analogy I like is as if I'm driving into a traffic circle, right? A rotary circle. And there's like five exits on it. And I've just entered the traffic circle and I could take either one of any one of those exits and each one's going to lead to a different place. But I I'm just now reaching for one of those paths. I just don't know which one it is yet. And it's the journey that is the important part of this, right? It's like not really which exit you take. It's, you know, what are you going to do while you're on the road in the rotary? Mm -hmm. It's true. And how you got there and, and, and what is it that, you know, it's it's also a very um, wide open time for creativity because I can make the rest of my life anything I want, really. I'm not, you know, I'm not married. So I, I, I'm not, I don't have that sort of a partnership that uh, I'm bringing somebody with me that way. It's, it can be anything, just anything. And I, 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 there's some things I know, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, places I've been up until now that I'd like to do more of. Um, I obviously, you know, my retirement in quotes is just going to be more music. If I can make that happen, you know, more live playing, more albums, you know, partnering with more musicians if I possibly can, you know, around the world. Is there such thing as retirement? I mean, for, (laughs) for a sound mind, right? right? I'm not so sure that retirement's a good thing. No, but that's, but that sort of ties back into that, that whole, uh, you know, leave it to beaver, you know, archetype, right? Where yeah. it's like you, you get to 65 and you get the watch and then now you get to sit home. But, you know, I've talked to people all the time. You know, I have a, a day job that does financial planning and I've talked to people all the time that go into retirement. And they, when they try to do it in the way you would think it would be, it takes them about two months and it's like, now what am I going to do? Yeah, because they, you know what I mean. They, they, people want to have meaningful expression in life, you know, in their life, in their no, wherever they are in, in the timeline, you know. And to me, that's what reach is emblematic of, you know, is Yo. that you know creating meaning in this phase that still is very much the ripe, juicy middle of life, you know. The sixties today is like the new thirties. <laughs> right. That's right. I keep telling myself that actually. Oh, uh, I me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's uh, it it also the way the album was created was different than all of my previous albums. It, it, almost uh all the albums up until this one, I had sat in my home studio and created the bones of the track, you know, the, the demo of it and wrote out the horn parts that I would make up and the harmony lines and all this stuff. And then I would go to a studio and replace the, the guitar track that I had picked from some loop somewhere and had a real, and then I had a real guitar player play it, you know, and, and, and a real bass player and a real drummer. And that, and then I would redo the horn parts and I would play the notes that I had written in my house again in the studio until they were, you know, as perfect as they possibly could be. But Reach was totally different. Reach was, I partnered with a, a, uh, an excellent producer named uh, Ruslan Sirota. He is an LA based piano player. Um, he's a Grammy winner with Stanley Clark and he plays with, uh, uh, Larry Carlton and all these. He's a really great jazz pianist as well as a producer. And I actually, it's funny. I, I met him through a Kickstarter program that he was doing for one of his albums. And one of the rewards, if you, if you contributed was he would write a song for you. Oh, wow. So, so I chose that. This is like three years ago. 
this happened. So I chose that reward. I, I, uh, and he sends me the song and, um, you know, he knew I was a horn player. And then I, I made up a horn part just like the same process I was, I had done before. Right. Made up a horn part and we started going back and forth on it. And, and then he's like, well, if you want to do this, I'll send you some more tracks. So he did, we spent maybe almost six months, maybe even more doing that. And then, you know, I would try to think of horn parts and some of them were good. Some of them weren't so good. And then he just comes up with an idea, you know, half six months into it saying, I have a different approach to this. What I want to do is I want to get five studio musicians that I know that um, we will go into the studio and you and I will listen to some songs that you like and try to catch a, a vibe, a feeling um, a particular um, um, flavor based on these songs that you like. And I'm going to play them for the, the, the guys in the studio and they're going to go out and they're just going to start playing. And, and that's exactly what happened. So, so we, we, wow. we booked a studio in Van Nuys down there in LA, five musicians that he had booked there, um, including himself. And he was in the control room of the studio uh, with headphones on playing a piano and or a synthesizer, you know, uh, the electric piano. And all the other musicians had headphones on. And he and he would basically they would we would start by playing one of these songs that I like somebody else's song, you know, just a, uh, whoever it was that we had a Skype playlist of these songs that he and I agreed <laughs> would be good. Right. And, and we played them and then the guys would go out under the, into the studio and Russell would talk to them as they're playing. Okay. Now just me and me and the guitar now up an octave now go to a minor, go to D minor. So we, it was just, it would just happen live. And we did, we did 10 songs in, in that day like that, all with different flavors to them, you know? Wait, hang on Not, a second. I yeah, need to ask a question about this because yeah. what I'm understanding you're saying is that you played songs that weren't yours and that everybody just went off and riffed with, with instructions. It, it, well, went off and riffed with sort of as it was happening, discussion through their headsets as, you know, through the headphones as Rustlin was directing the band basically now we now in other words those that song that we listened to there was no nothing was written out from that song. like we didn't even know what key it was none of that yeah it was just the feeling of it like if it was a like a latin flavored song it had a latin flavor so they would go out there and start a latin vibe just make it up like totally improv the that's whole, so cool it was the best it, it, you know and i've sort of reached and we did that for 10 different songs with 10 very different feelings to them um, in that day. And I've sort of researched this after the fact to see where this might have this version of things, which is kind of old school. You know, it's not like layering tracks in from a synthesizer or from a programming machine. It was none of that. It was like, and it was very much like uh, Miles Davis uh, Bitches Brew. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, because what they did with that, Miles would bring in probably three or four different configurations of bands one day after the other. And then they would just play and Miles would stop them and say, OK, uh, let's do that part again, you know, or let's go riff on that, whatever it was. So they had all these tapes like this. And his producer, uh, uh, I think it's Teo Macero, I think the guy's name was, if I said that right. He went and edited all of those performances into what turned out to be the final songs. 
right? So what Russlin and his uh, his mixing guy did is that after we had this, these 10 songs uh, in that day, for the next couple of months, they took them and basically shaped them into uh, song forms, right? Like tracks that are, yeah. you know, four minutes, five minutes long type of thing. Maybe some are a little longer than that. And then I came down a couple months later after that was done. And I spent three days just playing my horn over each track. So I would do one pass through and play whatever I felt like playing. And then Russell would say, okay, let's do another one, but I want you to play, you know, really high, crazy stuff on it. And then we do it. All right. Now let's do a third one where you're going to play really long notes kind of a thing. Or we'd be in the middle of one of the songs and I'd come up with a pattern and, and he would say, okay, let's repeat that pattern. But, and here's a harmony line to play on that pattern. So I would play the harmony of that, that, that note, whatever pattern of notes that I had come up with. And, I did that for three days. Again, not one written note anywhere. Didn't show up with anything written. Just listened to those tracks and started to play my horn over them. And and in the end, you know, he went with with took the horn parts and chopped them up and and made the record that you hear. That's the final version of Reach is that is the result of that. Let's go out to break listening to a cut from Reach to learn more about the work of Jeff Oster. Please visit jeffoster.com. On Twitter, he's at Jeff underscore Oster. On Facebook, Jeff Oster Music. And on Instagram, Jeff Oster Picks. Here comes the break and here comes the tune. says money can't buy happiness whether you are a skeptic or seeker check out lisa's new book are we happy yet eight keys to unlocking a joyful life a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at barnes and noble amazon indiebound and harvestinghappiness.com here's a truth bomb emotions are contagious and happiness is a universally desired state but we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness. You've been listening to the beautiful music of Jeff Oster from his new album, Reach. And he's in the house with me today. Hey, Jeff, we're talking about the process that you went through with your L.A.-based musicians and producer 
to create this album. And you spoke about the organic riff is what I'm hearing that you embarked upon to make this and really the metaphor of reaching into the unknown with these musicians. Right. And, and there, you know, there's a, a great degree of surrender associated with that. Like every record up until now that I've done, I've sat there in the mixing room while the uh, mixing engineer is picking the parts to end up on the final record. This one, just following with the whole process that I even how it was created, I didn't even go to any of those. Like, for example, I have no idea of all those three days of trumpet playing that I and flugelhorn playing uh, that I did uh, uh, with Rustlin. I have no idea what he left on the cutting room floor. I have no idea what parts that like I, if I was there, I might have chosen a totally different line to play or put in a particular place. So this whole idea of, of giving up a control, um, which, you know, a lot of people that know me, you know, they laugh at me even saying that because I tend to, I'm a planner, right? Like if I took a road, <laughs> if I took a road trip, right? If I took a road trip, I almost always will have some destination already penciled out somewhere, right? Uh, before I leave. And I've more and more now as I've gotten older, it's, and especially now it's, it's, I've, I've, I have enough experience to know that the times that, um, I got up in the morning and just went somewhere and it, okay, now it's time to find a place to stay without knowing those have been the best places that I've ended up in. Right. Those have been the the most exciting, the most unexpected, the most um, uh, and like improv kind of a, of a result, you know. And I think that it's this whole thing is like a metaphor, really, of, of, of my life. Like if you trust something that's not already predetermined and prescribed ahead of time, uh, magic can happen from that. And, and, and it really isn't that what life is, right? That finding that magic and, and, and how to, how do you give that to yourself where, you know, the old dog new tricks thing, right? I mean, you, <laughs> yeah, right. 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 Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I could be going a completely different way. You know, I could be, I could, I could have something in my mind of how the rest of my life, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, God willing, you know, or no longer, um, uh, might look like. But I mean, it's, it's all in that same place of going into the rotary. It's like, should I make a right? Should I make the next right? The next right? Which one? I don't know. And, uh, but just keep driving in the meantime, right? You have to, you have to drive. Right. You have to go there. Yeah. You have to keep moving in exactly. order to not be hit. And if, and right. if you can't sort of exit on the one that you thought, well, you can mm. just go around again. That's right. Keep, right. Keep going in circles to finally make a choice, you know. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's been the, the whole record has been a metaphor of this, which has been, it's nice. And, 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 and it's, you know, I heard for the many years in my, in my music uh, playing that a lot of people would have said to me, well, Jeff, we really like your songs. And you're playing, but we, we, we really want to, we're waiting for you to really play, you know, we're on, on a record uh, to actually, this is very much like a live record in a way, right? Because I, there was nothing written. I wasn't reading a chart of yeah. any kind, right? So it was, it was very much just delivering whatever I felt at the moment in reaction to whatever track was playing at the time that, 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 that was, uh, happening, you know? So it's, it's, it's very much, um, a tap dance, right? <laughs> it's an improv thing. And, and that's kind of where I feel like my life is now, too. It's the same exact thing. I have no idea 
what the next note is I'm going to play, you know, in my life and, you know, as reflected there on, you know, with my horn. You know. But there is the belief that music will be played, that music is will come out. In other words, that, that yeah, there's unknown, there's a reach, but there's not fear. No. Well, no, if anything, there's an excitement level to it. You know, when Prince was 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 writing music, you know, he said he was taking dictation, right? I mean, that's how it's one of the lines he used, where it's like it's it's not coming out of me so much as it's almost me opening up to letting that come out of wherever it's coming from. You know, it's it's one of only a couple ways in my life playing music like that where I'm not present. You know what I mean? I'm not really thinking. It's more feeling than it's thinking. Yeah. You know, it's one of the best parts of music for me, you know, because, you know, and, you know, it's funny because my I have a, a day job as a financial planner and, you know, financial planning is very much the opposite of just winging it. Right. It's sitting there with a calculator and and, and fat figuring out what things are going to look like in the future. And how do you you know, it's like how do you put things in particular places to try to achieve that goal? And it's very finite. Right. It's very specific. And music, although it's, you know, you have to play in tune and there has to be some taste involved, it's very much the opposite of specific in a way, right? It's in, in at least in, in this particular um, um, part of my life now, it's, it's, uh, uh, what does it feel like? And, and I, there's a, a quote I keep from uh, Charlie Parker that says, first master your instrument and then forget all that, uh, you know, uh, uh, shisa and, and play, right? That, right. That's <laughs> yeah. it's true. You know, and that's really what it is. I'm at the point now I played for 53 years, right? So I, I can play and I've got certain things I know that I can do well with my horn playing. So now it's a matter of just forgetting all of that. And in reaction to what I'm hearing, just, you know, letting it blow out into whatever it ends up as, you know? What's interesting about what you describe in the air quote day job and then yeah, this, right. this creativity, which, you know, is becoming really your life full time now as you move into this next phase. Exactly. You've got this left right brain synthesis thing going on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which yeah. uh, I think only highlights or emboldens the creativity because you've got both sides of the brain working. Right. I also think that, you know, there's always been. You know, I've talked a minute ago about not having a plan at this point, but there really has been a larger scale plan where in 1987, in when I first started doing financial planning and, you know, stock brokering and all that stuff, I was in L.A. I was a limo driver. One of my limo driver friends became a stockbroker and he goes, you're good on the phone. You should do this work. And I had never <laughs> taken a finance class in my life. Right. And I had been playing top 40 music, you know, in clubs and, you know, Rubens and the, the Black Angus chain and all this stuff down in LA and, you know, for, and I was making $12,000 a year and I was just for a decade down there and I was getting tired of it. So there has to be a way out of this and it's not going to be playing proud Mary for five people on Tuesday night, you know, at, at a bar in the San Fernando Valley, there has to be a better, when I'm 60, there has to be a better way. So uh, the financial planning thing, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to start saving money from this work and I'm going to hire the people I want to hire to do original music to do the music that I want to do. And it took me from, you know, 1987 to 2003 before I was able to start really pulling that off. 
started reaching out to producers like Will Ackerman, you know, the founder of Wyndham Hill, and he's in Flow. And I mean, I, I was sitting in my cube at Aon Corporation running one of their divisions in San Francisco, and I sent Will an email, you know, saying, hey, I'm this trumpet player out in San Francisco, and, you know, your music has been the soundtrack of my life, you know, for decades, since the 70s, because I would sit in my house and play my horn along with this guy's uh, records and all the time, you know. And I said, I want, I, I'm, told myself I'd be in a position to, to hire people to, to help make my, my original music come to life. And would you help me? And he wrote back and we started, that's the whole conversation wow. started. That, it was amazing. Like he wrote back in five minutes and I'm like, here I am looking at this. I was a total fanboy, right? I mean, from, you know, what a 79 to 2003 when all of a sudden here's Will Ackerman's name in my inbox, you know, and it's great. It's, and he's tra- turned into one of my best friends. He li- literally, he and I, you know, we travel different places together, not for music and just to hang out. And it's great. He's just a great guy. And, and it's been awesome. That whole thing. That's and an amazing that's, story. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, the, the, the financial planning thing has allowed me and, and not only has it allowed me to choose the people I work with, it also has allowed me to make musical choices that are not beholden to uh, financial considerations, which <laughs> sometimes I, to my chagrin, I wish I was playing the Great American Songbook because when the trumpet player shows up, they expect them to play My Funny Valentine or whatever it is, right? Because <laughs> you get booked that way. You know, I would, I would play, I would work far more gigs if I had built a band around that or smooth jazz, right? Something where you hear it all the time and it's very common. And, but I, that's not the music that I've created. My music, that whole Miles meets Pink Floyd thing. It's really true. It's very, it's a, it's a, it's a, a fusion of these different, uh, things that I've loved in my past, not really thinking about who's going to air it on what radio station, you know, even though I found some that'll do it, but it's not like, you know, smooth jazz radio, you know what you're going to hear song after song after song. It has a flavor to it. It has certain components that are common throughout yeah. each one of those. Right. And my stuff's not like that. It's just not. And, and, and I, I kind of love that. And, and me I'm too. And, right. I, and I'm not right. the only one. I mean, you know, yeah. I think you've come mm-hmm. back on the show. This is the third time. So, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a, there's a reason why, you know, I like talking to you, you know, yeah, with you it. because yeah, it's, yeah. I, I get it. I think it's that dancing to one's own tune, which you most exactly. definitely do through your music. Mm-hmm. We're almost out of time. And I want to ask, right. going back to sort of the spirituality of the music and the mysticism that happens, I think, or the magic that happens when you're making albums, at least yeah. what you describe, because I've never made one and I probably mm-hmm. never will, but I can get, you know, the, the vicarious thrill through what you describe. Um, mm-hmm. You and Ricky Kedge are connected. It's amazing. Like what, uh, halfway around the world? Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. And Ricky and I met through a mutual friend many, many years ago. I got an email of what he was doing. I'm like, huh, that would be an interesting show. And then I mentioned the only person that I know <laughs> I loved it. in, the, mu- in right. the jazz music world mm-hmm. is you. And he says, God, I know him. Right. And he was very humble. He didn't tell me that he played with you. Yeah, we worked together. Yeah, there was I was in the middle of my uh, album before this one uh, next. 
and there was a song I had called uh, Gardens of Varanasi, which is which is one of the holy cities in India. Of course, I'd never been there, and, and I know Ricky probably has, right? But I had known Ricky through the sort of the Grammy community. You know, we were both uh, uh, do a lot of uh, of uh, meeting and greeting and 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 networking uh, through the with a variety of musicians through the Grammy uh, 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 community, and I had met Ricky and. Uh, I had created this song and I had reached out to him. I sent him the tracks and he uh, arranged an entire Indian musicians that he brought in for the people that he knew over there and then sent them back to me. And he's in, has an arranger credit on one of the song, that song, Garden of Varanasi. It's a beautiful song. And, you know, we got to work together on that. And then I've seen him multiple times when he comes back to the States and makes his way up to the Bay Area or if I happen to be down in L.A. especially and at the Grammys. You know, I've seen him there a few times as well. So. Yeah, he's, it's great. It's, it's funny how that works. And the, you know, the, the today, especially where you can not have to sit in a room with somebody and you still can create beautiful music together. It's, it's really, it's one of the advantages of the internet, actually, in a way, you know, it is. The mm-hmm. world is, you know, really held in the palm of our hands. And I think right. that that is what music is the language of that. Yeah. Never, never your way. Jeff, Absolutely. come back and hang out with me anytime. Yeah, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll talk more music and, and what's next after Reach? Well, I, you know, I think it might be pack up my horn and go to Europe for a month and see what that feels like. Maybe it'll turn into five months. You know, maybe I'll be the American in Paris. I don't know. You know, I've been going down to Mexico for the last 12 years. I know that I'm going to go down there for in the wintertime. Like, uh, it's, it's like winter. Winter camp, you know, instead of summer camp, it's like winter camp. Winter camp. With all the, it is with all, with a lot of expats from all up in the States. So we all go down there and it's a, it's a one road town to the beach. And before you get to the end of it, you haven't been there in a year and it's like, Hey, Jeff, you know, I see six or seven people that I haven't, I haven't seen in a whole year, but there they all are, you know, sitting there in one of the little restaurants or whatever. It's great, you know, so I, you know, it's, it, it's going to be anywhere. And I know that the next music will be informed by that, right? It'll, it'll, it could be, maybe it'll be with a French, you know, trio at some smoky bar in, you know, in, in the, the left bank. I have no idea what the next one's going to be. Or the Fado ballads of Portugal. Right. Oh right. my, that, that's where I'm going this summer. See, okay. it's beautiful. <laughs> to yeah. learn more or to listen more, please visit jeffoster.com. Connect with him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Oster, on Facebook, Jeff Oster Music, and on Instagram, Jeff Oster Picks. Have a listen as we dance off the show to another cut from Reach, Jeff Oster's latest album. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Ricky Kedge and Jeff Oster, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day.
Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.